Well, we uh, reach a momentous occasion today. We have spent five weeks in chapter one of Colossians. Today, we get to chapter two. We'll be there till October. (laughs) We'll, 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 We'll move through chapter two fairly quickly. And uh, so today, if you will, take your Bible, if you have it, and turn to Colossians chapter 2. There's also a, uh, minute, a outline, message outline in your worship folder, and you can follow along there, and the verses are also there. They'll also be on the screen. So if you'll follow along as I read Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you. And for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, Rejoicing to see your good order and firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Our memory verse this week is verse 6. And so it's going to come up on the screens and I want us to go through this just a couple times. Gave you an easy one. Colossians 2.6. Let's say it together. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Let's do it one more time. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Each week we've been looking at a preeminence principle, how we can put Jesus first. And so the preeminence principle for this week, which is really the main point of this passage, of these seven verses... Putting Jesus first means walking in the truth of who I am in Christ. Putting Jesus first means walking in the truth of who I am in Jesus Christ. Now the first five verses of chapter 2 are very interesting in that they mirror the last six verses of chapter 1. It's almost as if Paul wanted to reiterate his point. I think Paul realized how our brains work and we have to hear something more than once. And so Paul immediately repeats himself. I'll tell you what I'm talking about. In verse uh, 24 of chapter 1, we see the same topic that we see in verse 1 of chapter 2, of Paul's suffering and his struggle for the church. Chapter 1, verse 25 is mirrored in chapter 2, verse 2, where Paul talks about his desire for the churches and the believer's growth and spiritual understanding. Chapter 1, verse 26 is mirrored in the end of verse 2. And Paul again brings up this point of the mystery of the gospel. Chapter 1, verse 27 is mirrored in verse 3 of chapter 2. And Paul discusses again the treasures and the riches of God's glory. Verse 28 of chapter 1, we see the same idea in verse 4 of chapter 2. Where Paul warns against false teachings. And his solution is to know the truth. If you know the truth, then you'll be able to identify lies. And then verse 29 of chapter 1 is mirrored in verse 5 of chapter 2, where Paul again reiterates his care for the church and his joy 
in their growth. So we're going to take some time and look at chapter 2 and realize that it's a reiteration of the end of chapter 1. Actually, what we're going to do is we're just going to replay Pastor Claude's message from last week. No, we're not going to do that. That would just be cheating. It would have been easier on my part, but it would be cheating. We're going to look at essentially the same topic we looked at last week, but from slightly different angle because Paul approaches it slightly differently. First, he brings up this idea that the power of the gospel was strong in his life. We look at the power of the gospel in the Apostle Paul's life. Through this book, we've seen he uses himself as an example. And he says, the gospel has made me willing to struggle for the sake of others. See, the power of the gospel is that it makes us willing to struggle for the sake of others. Verse 1, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for those who have not seen me face to face. This word struggle is literally, the, a better translation would be agonize. I am agonizing for you. For the sake of the gospel. For your growth. Now why would anyone want to struggle for somebody else? Well, I think it's because Paul saw Christ converting and maturing people. And his struggle for the sake of the gospel was really a response to what he saw God doing in in people's lives. I also think he did it because he had an example in Jesus. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And in this imperative, we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. See, a principle of the gospel is that we become not about ourselves, but about others. And the gospel in Paul's life made him willing to struggle for the sake of others. And to agonize for their spiritual growth. Pastor Steve has said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Well, I think Paul knew that the converse was true. That everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Everything minus Jesus equals nothing. See, this is what Paul believes. That the gospel has so changed me. That I am free to die and to self-sacrifice. Paul believed the gospel has changed him so he can, he can live for other people. All he needs is Jesus. He can live for others. He'd found someone worth losing everything for. Apart from Jesus, he had nothing. Because if you have everything minus Jesus, you have nothing. And so he was willing to suffer for what was everything to him. The gospel makes us willing to struggle for the sake of others. And second, Paul tells us that the gospel makes you long for and rejoice in others' spiritual growth. Interestingly, we see in this, in verse 1, that Paul had never met these believers. Remember, Paul was not the founder of the church at Colossae. And he had never been there. His influence was simply through letters and through training of their leaders. He had never met these believers, yet he agonizes over these Colossian believers. He longed for and he rejoiced in their spiritual growth. He says, though I'm absent in the body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and your firmness, the firmness of your faith, 
in Christ. Paul enjoyed seeing them grow. Tullian Tavigian, who is the pastor at uh, a pastor in Florida, says this until the gospel grips your heart and changes your life, life is all about you. The gospel is meant to bring you to the end of yourself so that you finally begin to place your identity, your meaning, your purpose, and your sense of well-being in Jesus. The gospel will make you long for and rejoice in other people's spiritual growth. And Paul had discovered this. Now, there is a warning. John Piper, the pastor of Bethlehem Baptist in Minneapolis, says, If you live gladly to make others glad in God... Here's what you're promised. Your life will be hard. Your risks will be high. But your joy will be full. If you live gladly to make others glad in God, here's what you're promised. Your life will be hard. Your risks will be high. But your joy will be full. When you live for others. Paul says, I long for your spiritual well-being and your growth, and I rejoice in it. And I'm willing to agonize and suffer for that. Because everything minus Jesus is nothing. But Jesus plus nothing is everything. Now Paul is not talking about himself here in order to build up his own rep. He he does so with a purpose beyond himself, and here it is. He wants to give an example for you to follow. In verses 2 through 4, we see this example. First, he desires for the Colossian believers and for us that there be a shared love among believers. He wants them to be knit together in love. He wants them to have the same attitude toward each other. That they long for each other's spiritual growth. That they're willing to suffer for the gospel for one another's sake. So I have a question. Do you, like Paul, love others in a way that places their spiritual growth above your own ease? Which comes first? What does your life revolve around? If you tell me what your life revolves around, I'll tell you whether you really love other people or not. And whether you desire their spiritual growth more than your own ease. You see, we are in a place like Paul where we can give everything because we have Christ so we have need of nothing. He is everything we need. And so we can give ourselves away. He desires for them a shared love among the believers. He also desires for them and wants to be an example of the richness of full assurance. In verse 2 he says, I want you to be able to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding. You know, if if you're trying to live your life daily and it's all about you, if you haven't yet, you will reach a point of confusion and emptiness. It's just going to happen. Because our daily lives are to be about the gospel. The gospel gets our focus off ourself and onto Jesus where it should be. There's a richness of full assurance. This word riches, or in some translations it's the word treasure, means everything. 
Every truth necessary for salvation, sanctification, and glorification is found in this word. The riches of the gospel, the riches of full assurance of who I am in Jesus. If you are a Christ follower here today, that God has called you to himself and you have accepted that invitation to step into relationship with him, then you have all the riches and all the treasure and the assurance of understanding that God has given you absolutely everything necessary for salvation and for your growth, your sanctification, and one day, your glorification in Him. This idea of full assurance, it's full assurance of what? What is, what is Paul desiring that the Colossians have full assurance of? Well, the mystery of God. And so his desire next is that they have insight into this thing called the mystery of God. But it is a mystery no longer, as Pastor Claude shared with us last week. It is no longer a mystery. In Jesus, the mystery has been revealed. And as Claude said last weekend, that mystery revealed is this. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ incarnate. That Jesus became human. And that Jesus now lives in us as believers through the Holy Spirit. And then in Jesus, we have a source of hope. That is the mystery of the gospel. That the God of the universe came... And took on skin. And now lives in believers through the Holy Spirit. And within us is the source of hope. All of the infinite God lives in every believer. All of Him. Not a part of Him. Not a section of Him. Not a little bit of Him. Not based upon what you do and don't do. Or whether you're a good person or whether you're a struggler. For those of you who follow Jesus, all of the infinite God dwells in you. All of Him. The mystery of the gospel that is revealed is that it is so not about you. That life that you live, it's not about you. Salvation is not about you. Your spiritual growth is ultimately not about you. Jesus is the entire source of everything. That's who it's all about. It's about Jesus. Francis Chan in his book, Crazy Love, which if you haven't read it, you need to read because it's the most offensive book in the world. But in a good way. Francis Chan says this, So many of us think and live like the movie of life is all about us. And yet we have only a two-fifths of a second scene to live. Frankly, you need to get over yourself. Well, that's just harsh. Far be it for me to explain Francis Chan, but let me tell you what he's saying. Whether your life is pretty good right now, or whether it's tough right now and feels like everything in life is a struggle, the good times and the bad, all the good stuff and the bad things are both there. So that you and I can show the world that God is great and that knowing Him is the greatest truth. That He is the answer to life. You realize that all of this stuff, it's all about Him. It's also, we can tell the world that God is great and that He is the answer to life. Are you hopeless? Jesus. Are you depressed? Jesus. 
Have you experienced loss? Jesus. Are you self-sufficient? Jesus. Are you lonely? Jesus. Are you addicted? Jesus. Are you struggling in your marriage? Jesus. Are you wondering why you're still single? Jesus. Are you self-righteous? Jesus. Are you struggling with sin? Jesus. You have no purpose in life? Jesus. Are you trying to work at being holy? Jesus. You get it? Jesus. Jesus is the answer. See, somebody got it. Me and four-year-olds, we're like this. Whatever your statement is, and your struggle is, or your question is, or your issue is, the answer is Jesus. That is the mystery of the gospel. The answer is Jesus. The answer to every lie is Jesus. It is not you. It is not me. It is Jesus. Paul desires in them an insight into this mystery of God. And last, that they have a firmness of faith to reject lies. Paul desires for the Colossians that they have a firmness of faith to reject lies. Verse 4 says this, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. The word literally here for this plausible arguments is philosophies. In the Greek, it's a word meaning literally the lovers of wisdom, that you get so caught up in this stuff people tell you is the answers to life, that you lose sight of the truth. The Colossians were struggling with the heresy, remember, of that Jesus was not God. He couldn't be God and flesh at the same time. Today we struggle with whether we're going to put more stock in what Dr. Phil says or what we hear on afternoon television or what we read in some book than we do in what the Word of God says. Paul is challenging the deficiency of philosophy with the sufficiency of Christ. Saying there's an ultimate deficiency in philosophy. If it's apart from Jesus, it's missing everything. It's missing Jesus. You see, Paul is fighting this idea of higher knowledge. Have you met anybody like that? That let's attain a higher knowledge. And Paul says it's nothing but empty deceit and worthless deception. Everybody out there has got another solution to life. And to your problem and to your issue. And the answer and the solution is Jesus. I believe that if you do not have truth at your core... You will easily give in to buying lies. Lies about this amazing mystery of Jesus in you. You see, living in you is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Everywhere you go, He is with you. So what situation or problem or question does that not answer? 
if living within you through the Holy Spirit is Jesus himself, what other answer can I give you than Jesus? Paul has this desire for the Colossians and he spends these five verses reiterating what he just said so that we get it. And then in verse 6, he says, therefore. Now, anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself what it's therefore. Paul is saying, based upon all this stuff I just told you, based on the fact that it's all about Jesus, that Jesus plus nothing is everything, and everything minus Jesus is nothing. Therefore, he says, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Paul wants them to understand that there is a truth for you to walk in. As you received Christ Jesus the Lord. This is the done part. It's done. You have received Jesus as Lord. It is done. It is finished. And then he says, so walk in him. Well, that's our part. So walk in Him. But it can only happen with a full understanding of what has already been done in you. You see, we can try all day to be holy and be better and be what we think God wants us to be, but until we understand that Jesus has already done all that for us, we're going to be frustrated. He uses the word walk here. Walk in Him. This is the New Testament word for your daily ongoing growth and development as a believer in Jesus. It's taking your beliefs and making sure that they show up in your behaviors. It's taking what you say you believe. Well, I I believe Jesus is everything. Okay, is it showing up in your behavior? Now, that that didn't seem really pithy to me, and I was trying to figure out a way to, to say this so that you grab hold of it with kind of a weird word or a weird word. Okay, so I was sitting at a conference yesterday, and the speaker said something, and I said, that's it, I'm stealing that. That's what I'm going to say. And he put it this way. He said, we have got to make sure that our orthodoxy, that those things we say we believe, that we say we claim as truth, our orthodoxy, shows up in our orthopraxy. Meaning our practices. You can go home and tell mama, I learned a new word today. Our orthodoxy, what we say we believe, must show up in our orthopraxy. Or we are, hmm, what would that word be? It's what people outside the walls of church buildings all over the U.S. say. And guess what? Sometimes they're right. That what we say we believe, we don't really live. That the stuff we say we stand firm on, we are weak on. We don't allow our orthodoxy to impact our orthopraxy. And yet Paul says you need to walk in the truth. You need to walk in Him. Walk in the reality of who you really are in Christ. He's the answer for all of this. Paul says, you've received all of the benefits of Christ. 
Now, all is a very theological word. And when you search it in the Greek, it means all. All that Christ gained on the cross and through His resurrection, you have. All that He gained. Spiritual freedom. Soul security. The Father's approval. The Father's pleasure. The Father's acceptance. The Father's affection. Christ's work has gained all of these. And we are recipients of the benefits of that. It's all yours. It's all yours. You are already the receiver and the recipient of those things. Ephesians 1, 17-23 says this. This is a prayer of Paul for the church at Ephesus. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. That's who we are in Jesus. That is all yours. As a follower of Jesus Christ, all that is yours. If you are here as a seeker today, then what Jesus is saying to you is come to me, listen to my voice calling you to me, and this is what I have for you. Everything that Christ gained on the cross and through his resurrection is yours. You see, we call it a gift and we think it's in a little box with a little bow. It is the greatest gift of all time that all of that belongs to you. He also says that our daily conduct has got to change. We have to walk in Him. The challenge of that, honestly, is to live that truth in the heat of the moment. And we can fall into that mode of, I want what I want, where I want it, when I want it. Our own desires, or even someone else's approval or opinion, can feel more real than God's deep desire for you or the Father's approval. See, this isn't about focusing on what we do, but what Jesus has done. See, the question isn't what would Jesus do, it's what did Jesus do? What has he accomplished for us? We cannot lose sight of Christ's work for our holiness, or we'll get caught up in trying to do holy things. God does not want you to be a better person. God does not want you to be a better person. He wants you to live fully in Him alone. As your all. As your everything. Living in the reality that Jesus plus nothing is everything. And everything minus Jesus is nothing. Now you have to watch out because our default mode is often performance over dependence. 
Paul reminds us, you got to make sure you know who you are in Jesus. And he says this, you are rooted and you are continuing to be built. This is what Pastor Steve means when he refers to the gospel for Christians. That it is an ongoing process that begins at conversion in this rooting the rooting of us strongly in Jesus, but continues through spiritual growth all the way to our coming glorification, that He is building us up. Much of what we're being having built in our lives is still to come. We have to be careful not to want it all now, and that our expectations are pulled away from what Jesus has promised. But that He's building us up now. We cannot build ourselves. He is the one that has rooted us and is building us. Well, how do we respond to this truth? Just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, it's interesting, this term abound in thanksgiving is, we'll see seven times in the book of Colossians, which must mean it's pretty important. See, I'm convinced that Gratefulness and thanksgiving is a powerful tool to get us out of our stuff. Some of you who have met with me and you've asked me, how do I, how do I kind of get out of this rut? And I say, go to your sock drawer. Some of you will go, yeah, he's told me that. Go to your sock drawer. Start thanking God for every pair of socks. And then start through your closet. Now, ladies, if you get to your shoes, you're going to be there a while. I understand this, okay? But you start giving thanks. Uh Uh-oh, we have a guilty party. You start thanking God for just... Start at the stuff. But then you move on to the the good stuff. You move on to all that Jesus has accomplished for you. And all that is yours in Him. And you start giving thanks for that. And guess what? Your problem or your situation or your sin starts getting smaller and smaller and Jesus gets bigger and bigger. When you realize that you're completely filled with all of Him, all of God, remember, is in you. We're supposed to give thanksgiving. For what? For the gospel of what God has done for us. Not what we do for God. God, thank you for that wonderful job I did on... No! All that He did... What Jesus did for you must be real to you at your deepest point of need. Paul Tripp, a few months ago when he was here, reminded us of several of the now-isms of the gospel. That the gospel is for now. And I think we can give thanks for him. That the gospel doesn't just rescue us from our past. That the gospel doesn't just rescue us for the present, but for the future. And that the gospel rescues us in the present from our fears and our insecurities and our lusts and our greed and our selfishness and our pride. These are the riches of the gospel and we must continually give thanks. Whereas Paul says, abound in thanksgiving. Not just thank Jesus every now and then. Abound in thanksgiving for the riches of the gospel. One writer puts it this way, Jesus has rescued us from the lesser things of life. And so we're told to walk in Him. Maybe you're here today and your desire, you really want to walk in Christ and you are, you are really trying to seek Him. 
Maybe you're struggling. Like we asked earlier, maybe God is starting to give you the answer to what that struggle is and what that glitch is. Maybe you're really striving and maybe you're striving in yourself and you need the encouragement to just let Jesus do this. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't even know Jesus. But the, the glitch in your, in your life is that you've never obeyed His voice to come to Him and surrendered to His voice in your life and His call to change you and to enter into you. Maybe today you need to come to the place where you allow the Holy Spirit of God to take you over. I'm going to ask our prayer partners to come to the sides and they're going to be there and their desire is to pray for your walk, for your daily walk. Whether it's a struggle or you just want somebody to to pray encouragement over you, these folks are going to be there for that. And then I want us to do what Paul says and abound in thanksgiving. And I think one of the ways to do that is that we speak out our thanks. That the way past many, much of what we're, we're going through or at any given moment in our life that we're struggling is to speak out our thanks. So maybe some of you will come and allow a prayer partner to encourage you in prayer. But many of us, I'd like us to just come to these altars and kneel and not bow down, but to lift our voices in thanksgiving and start naming out all that Jesus has done for us and abound in thanksgiving. And we're going to lift our voices in gratitude. So in a moment as the worship team plays, I'd encourage you to to come. To allow someone to pray with you. To come and express your thanks to God. Father, as we continue to worship, God, we want to do it in the truth. May we abound in thanksgiving. Father, may we live in the truth that as we've received Jesus Christ the Lord, we want to walk in Him. Father, we worship through our prayer, through our thanksgiving, through our praise. It's all for you. It's all about Jesus. Let's stand together and you come.